Hello, my beautiful boons, and welcome to the episode of today, which is probably one of my favorite titled episodes because it's kind of one of the things that made me like embark on a lot of my, you know, life adventures, mainly the one where I bought that one-way ticket to Paris, good times, in like the depth of my heartbreak. But the topic of today's episode is all about chasing change and not letting change chase you. So I'll give you a quick little personal anecdote once we get into the topic of today's episode. But it's basically all around how to become someone who's more around taking action, even when things are good, taking those risks, those calculated risks and moving through and being okay with saying goodbye to certain aspects of your life and hello to brand new aspects of your life versus being someone who's too scared to make a change because you're scared that you're going to incur a loss here and there. But then because of that, you don't end up ever going for those things and those new experiences and those new relationships and those adventures and those risks and all of that. And then the only time you change is when you're forced into change. Like you get fired, you get made redundant or everyone in your workplace becomes such an asshole that you have to leave or your landlord puts the rent up so you have to move or, you know, you don't want to be a person. There are certain times in your life where you absolutely cannot avoid change occurring in a place. You didn't want it to occur and having to adapt. That's unavoidable. But you don't want to be a person that that's the only change you ever make because then you're going to feel like you're kind of a victim to your circumstances instead of feeling like there's a lot of what you do that is actually in your control if you become a person who's a bit more willing to chase the change in their life. So that is the episode today. And I'm going to be really getting into how you can become someone who can chase change. I'm going to reframe how you think about things and make you feel a whole lot more comfortable about being a bit more daring and putting yourself out there. So yeah, good times. That's going to be the episode of today. I don't have a life update. I mean, I probably do, but nothing that comes to my mind right now. I also was going to do a little pet peeve section. I think I started this like a year and a half ago and then did it once and then did not follow through with it. But I do have a lot of pet peeves and I thought of one just before and now I forgot. So. I need to bring that into circulation because there's a lot of good pet peeves that I've got. Well, I think they're good. Anyway, let's get right into the brain fact of today and then we'll get right into the topic of today's episode and the listener question at the end. Can't wait. Super pumped. Let's go. Okay, so the brain fact of today is around the link between oversleeping and health conditions. So you guys have heard me bang on about the importance of sleep why it's so great for you, um, how you need to have quality sleep, you need to be getting into a deep sleep, you need to have adequate amount of sleep in order to perform in every facet of your life, whether it be just overall mental health, focus, clarity, um, physical, you know, physical health, all the above, healing, recovery, everything. So sleep is king, okay? Now, I'm going to talk about what happens when there's too much sleep, when there's this oversleeping, because there's been a lot of studies shown. I'm referring, I'm going to be referring mainly to this meta-analysis that was done um, and published in the Journal of American Heart Association in 2018. But there's been a lot of studies that have been done on this. And oversleeping for more than nine to ten hours is associated with a high risk of something called all-cause mortality. And that's just death, all kinds of death, whether it be Relate, whether it be due to stroke, cancers, degeneration, um, heart attacks, all the above. So anything that's not like a nat- just naturally dying in old age um, that's got to do with your health. So obviously we're not talking about, you know, accidents, accidental deaths, but more health-related all-cause mortality. So it's not to say that excessive sleep is directly causing this higher rate in mortality, although that's not been 
determined. So it's not saying it does or it's not saying it doesn't, but there is a very close um, link between the two. They exist very closely together. So basically what we believe is going on is that this need to sleep abnormally long is very likely an indicator that something is wrong. And if you're not paying attention to this, it can go unnoticed for years or decades and there could be a massive underlying problem that's going to cause some sort of heart condition or a stroke that's going to cause you to die earlier or to lose your quality of life a lot sooner than what you would have rathered, what most people would rather. So Oversleeping in medical terms is like when we're talking medical terms is more than nine hours. Keep in mind that there are some individuals that will sleep more than nine hours and be perfectly healthy and live a very long life. But when we talk about, you know, a lot of medical things, we're talking about general populations. So oversleeping is more than nine hours. Another exception to that would be teenagers. A lot of teenagers may need nine to 10 hours sleep during like their mid-teen years because the brain is going through a lot of changes. And when they sleep, that's when these changes are able to occur a lot more so than in their waking hours. So let's discard teens from that. So if you're a parent of teens or you are a teen listening to this, do not freak out. Um, teenagers absolutely do need to sleep more than adults. And there's, it's a myth that old people need to sleep more than adults than just the general adult population. That is a myth. The reason old people sleep more is because they're likely bored. They have less to do. They don't have much of, you know, they're, you know, they're not, they don't have their routines in general. I'm talking about in general. So they end up just sleeping in, sleeping longer, but it's not because they need it. Okay. So as you start to get older, make sure that you maintain your same sleep pattern. Don't get complacent and start laying in bed for longer because that's when you start deteriorating a lot faster. Do not do it. Stick to a routine. Keep getting up early. Um, just keep that in mind for all you people who are probably 20 listening to this in 80 years time. Just remember what I said. But back to what I was saying, oversleeping in medical terms, it is more than nine hours for the general adult population. And if you've had a long night's sleep, I'm talking nine, 10 hours, sometimes 11 hours for some people, and you, and you feel tired when you wake up and it's still a struggle to get up in the morning, like you want to snooze your alarm, oh, I can't get up, you know, you're dragging yourself out of bed, you're tired and you want, like you feel like you need a nap at some point in the day, then you are 100% oversleeping, okay? And like I said, this is according to this meta-analysis that was done in 2018. The, the more hours slept are linked with the increased rate of dying across all causes. So 10 hours of sleep equated to a 30% higher risk versus the general population of dying of all-cause mortality and ver like versus those who sleep seven to eight hours. And sleeping more than 11 hours on a regular basis, I'm not talking about a sleep-in on a Sunday because you had a big weekend, I'm talking about regularly in general across the board, sleeping more than 11 hours accounts for a 47% higher risk of death versus the general population sleeping seven to eight hours. So these and these deaths are mainly around heart disease and stroke, inflammatory diseases and, and things that are linked with diabetes as well. So oversleeping, like I said, can be a sign that you have an underlying condition. Really common is something like heart failure, sleep apnea, which has very negative effects on the brain. So sleep apnea is the underlying cause for a lot of neurodegenerative problems. And the reason for that is when you are asleep and you're not getting adequate oxygen when you sleep, the, the brain needs oxygen, number one, and the, what equals a healthy brain is 
adequate oxygen supply to all areas of the brain. So if you're sleeping and you're not getting this adequate oxygen supply, which is what happens in sleep apnea, where you're stopping breathing repeatedly throughout the night, then this could lead to things like stroke, cerebral infarctions, things like that. So it's um, sleep apnea is a really big one. And when somebody has sleep apnea, they're likely to oversleep because they're fucking exhausted because they haven't gotten adequate oxygen. Their brain's not performing at its optimum level. So you want to continue to sleep. And then when you wake up, you could easily go back to sleep. And then you probably find that you're walking around. If you sit down, oh, fuck, I could take a nap. And then you just doze off. Um, My father had sleep apnea for years and he would be someone that would sit on the couch and just fall asleep like straight away. And then he went and did a sleep study and there were times where he wasn't breathing for over a minute, which is terrifying. And then he got on this, you know, those sleep apnea machines where, they, where it delivers oxygen to you throughout the entire night. And he, his need to sleep throughout the day improved drastically. And I also noticed massive improvements in his memory. I remember that he could never remember. He was very switched on person and very interested in my life, but he would, was very forgetful with names, which can happen to anyone. But he was like next level forgetful with names. And I noticed that even as he got older, his memory for names impo- improved quite dramatically because he was getting better quality sleep as in more oxygen while he was sleeping. So sleep apnea is a really big one. Um, as it increases the health risks in the brain and yeah, just de- degeneration in the brain in general. So now it's time to pay attention to yourself and ask yourself, what's my actual sleep pattern like? And if you're not sure, then start a bit of a diary. Note what time you went to bed roughly and note what time you're waking up and note how you feel and note if you needed a nap or if you needed a rest. Now, the, the exception here, or no, not exception, but the, the side thing here that I want to talk about is naps on their own are actually quite good for you. There's a lot of studies that show that naps are really good for the brain, but not when it's coupled with someone who is oversleeping because oversleeping is just saying that it's it's an indication that something's going wrong. And if you're not addressing this, then there could be this underlying problem that's festering under the surface and you're not doing anything about it and then it kind of manifests into something quite serious. But if you are sleeping the regular seven to eight hours and then you're taking a little nap in the afternoon, a short nap in the afternoon, that can actually be really good for your productivity and your focus and your alertness. So napping independently, nothing wrong with that. Napping when you're an oversleeper because you're tired and you need to nap, that's a call, That's something to, that should peak your, you know, you should make you go, oh, I need to pay attention to this. Maybe I should get, you know, some tests done. Maybe I should go have a sleep study. Maybe I should get my bloods done. Something needs to be looked at here. Now, like I said, there are, you know, some exceptions in the population. And if you're someone who's always slept 10 hours, but you wake up feeling fresh as a daisy, you have no need to hit the snooze button, you're bouncing around all day, you feel great, but you just sleep 10 hours, then it's likely that you're one of the, you know, the outliers that you can sleep that way. But the the issue here is when you're sleeping 10 or more hours and you're feeling tired and you feel like you need to, that, that you could continue to sleep. That's just absolutely not normal. And if you're waking up feeling that way after 10 hours of sleep, go to the doctor and just ask to be tested for a few things. Say, maybe should I have a sleep study done? I don't know if I'm getting like a, a quality sleep because sleep is king if it's quality. There's no point having quantity with no quality. That equates to fuck all. Okay, so you need to be ensuring that when you are asleep, you are actually 
getting quality sleep. I think a lot of people think that if they're absolutely zonked out and they wake up being like, fuck, I slept 10 hours straight, I didn't wake up, that that's quality sleep. Not at all. A lot of people with sleep apnea will hit the bed and not move until the next morning and think, oh yeah, well, I must have had a good sleep because I was out. But they're the people that probably have some of the worst quality sleep and are unaware of it. Yet they walk around, they could easily fall asleep later on and they're just not getting, the brain is not getting the nutrients that it should be getting. Okay. So I could not bang on about this more. Please, if you are someone that is oversleeping and still tired, please get it checked out. It is crucial. And if you get to the bottom of it, you might find that things that have been annoying you about yourself improve. Your memory gets better. Your focus gets better. Your productivity, your physical health, your ability to recover improves. Everything in your life will improve when you nail your sleep health. Everything, your relationships, your patience, just I, oh, I could go on, on about this forever. So please, 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 if it's you or if it's someone that you love that you think is oversleeping, could have a sleep issue, please go and get yourself or tell your loved one to get themselves checked out. That is all for the Brain Fact of today. Good times. Okay, so let's get straight into the topic of today. And like I said, I'm going to start with a little bit of an anecdote. You may have already heard this anecdote because I have spoken about this once or I think once in the past on this podcast. So if you're a long-time listener, I would imagine that you've heard of this story. But for those of you that have not heard it, I'm going to quickly tell it. So when I was, uh, it would have been 26, 27 I had just moved to Sydney. I'd been living in Sydney for about a year and I moved to Sydney on the back of like a hectic heartbreak that I thought I'd never recover from. I thought my life was over, all the above. So I moved to Sydney. I was so sad. I would probably cry myself to sleep, maybe no exaggeration, maybe let's call it 50% of the time, maybe more. And it was just, I just was not getting over this heartbreak. It was the first hectic heartbreak I had felt and months and months and months went past to the point that I just felt like ashamed to continue talking about it because I thought that people would think there was something wrong with me because I just was not getting over it. So I then started, you know, keeping it to myself and then crying alone. It was all very, very tragic and depressing. Anyway, it gets to the end of, this is in 2015, gets to the end of the year and I'm like, fucking nothing's getting better. I'm still struggling. And I was up in, I was in Brisbane visiting my parents and I was sitting outside on the balcony with my dad. And I said to him, I was like, oh, part of me just wants to go. Like, I just want to buy a one-way ticket somewhere and I want to, you know, maybe Europe and I really want to experience just going there and maybe working and I don't know, just changing things up for myself. And I just want that adventure. And I, you know, that's something I really want to do. And my dad was like, well, no, you have to do it now. Like you've said it. You now have to follow through with it. It's in the back of your mind. You know, it's something that if, you know, if I had my time over, I definitely would be doing something like that. And he goes, and I'm really happy with where I am now with like my wife and kids and everything. But that's something I would have loved to do in hindsight. So I think you should absolutely do it. And then he said something that have stuck with me, obviously to this day, because the whole episode is based around it. And he said, you've got to be someone who chases change. Don't let change chase you. And I was like fuck because my whole year that whole year for me I felt like I was forced into change again and again and again and all the change I was forced into none of it made me happy I had that massive breakup I was trying to make it in acting and so I thought I'd move to Sydney while I'm at it two weeks after the breakup um 
my acting agent dropped me. I wasn't getting enough auditions, so he's like, I'm tightening my books. You're fucking not good enough, see ya. So he dropped me. Um, my dog died. Two of my grandparents passed away in that, in that year and then another one passed away a few months after that. It was just so fucked. And then I started casually seeing this guy and then I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to – and then he's like, oh, sorry, I'm actually getting back with my ex. Nothing was going my way. And I was just absolutely struggling. And when he made that comment, I was like, fuck, it's so true. At the moment, I feel like such a victim to my circumstances. Nothing's going the way I want it to be going. You know, I couldn't even, the one thing that I would have loved to do that year was to go on this overseas trip with my friends, but I had no money. On top of all of that, I had no money and they were all going to Coachella and New York and having a ball like my close, my, you know, my 10 girlfriends, they were all living their best life and I'm there depressed watching this being poor buying a kebab and eating it like honestly I was like this is this something needs to give something's got to give and when my dad made that comment I was like that is so spot on that's fucking it and it was like a fire in my belly and it really changed how I was feeling in that moment then I went back to Sydney and I decided one day I was it was a Friday night and that was when I decided on a whim because it was nothing to do, no one to hang out with, that I just bought a one-way ticket to Paris. And then that kind of started the whole cascade of my whole life changing and everything, you know, being the way I wanted it to be because I started taking these big risks and there were calculated risks. I had saved up. I had, you know, done what I needed to do. But I was started taking these big calculated risks and ever since that day I've never stopped taking these big calculated risks. Some of them have not worked out for me. I've made some business decisions where I have lost a lot of money. But overall, when I add everything up, I wouldn't change any, any big risk for the world because you have to factor in losses into this new lifestyle that you're going to become. You have to be like, I'm going to be a person who's going to make risks and chase change. But if I'm going to commit to this, I also have to be aware that losses will be incurred and that's inevitable. And now that I've I'm aware of that. I've decided that I can go forth. And that way when a loss happens, I can eat that loss as part of the journey. So since then, I've had some big wins in my life and I continue to have wins, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I've had losses. But because there's so many wins along the way, the losses don't feel so obvious. Versus me a few years back when I was crying myself to sleep, it was all loss, 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 loss. I was not taking any risks. I was not getting the wins. So all I could draw my attention on was all the losses versus losses still happening here and there, but more wins than losses, more successes than failures. And so therefore I'm feeling more fulfilled than I do feel empty. So I wanted to share that anecdote with you to basically give a bit of background on this feeling around chasing change and not letting you chase, not letting change chase you. So there are two kinds of people. There are those that are chasing change all the time and those that are chased by change. One is reactive and the other is active. And now you get to choose which one you want, a reactive approach to change or an active approach to change because change is not a choice. How you change and the kind of change you make in a lot of cases is a choice. There are people that live their whole life trying to protect what they've got and making sure it doesn't change and, and keeping it close to them and keeping it tight to them. But I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. There is no job, no relationship, no home, no life situation safe enough 
that you are not at risk of losing it. This is not to scare you, but it's to put shit into perspective. If you live focusing on holding on so tight to what is, you are resisting the natural movement and flow of life. And by default, you are cock blocking yourself from all that can be experienced that you don't even know exists yet. You could be so busy hoarding what is here in your life and trying to guard it with everything you've got and it can still crumble and in the time you suffered. You didn't even have fun while hoarding it because you were so stressed. So you sitting here and protecting it, trying to avoid change, achieves nothing. If anything, it increases the risk of you suffering in the future if one of those things were to crumble or to change in a way that you didn't want to or that you didn't plan. If you look at a lot of relationship breakdowns, a lot of them occur because, you know, of trying to force it to stay this one person likely is trying to force it to stay the same and not wanting it to change. And the other person's kind of evolving away from what the relationship started as, or both people are evolving away from what it started as. Most of the successful relationships are, are the ones where both parties have been able to grow and evolve and adapt and grow and evolve and embrace their partner's change. Instead of being like, you've changed, you've changed, nothing's going to be the same now, you've changed. It's more of an embracing of this change if both people agree, they're able to mutually em embrace that and then, you know, live the death of that era in the relationship and move on to the next life of that relationship and the next one and the next one. And they're the couples that can evolve through many lives within that relationship because every relationship has many small deaths and many small rebirths. And it's your ability to adapt and embrace change that will determine the success of that relationship. You also see a lot of uh, parents who suffer because they've got a preconceived idea of what their children's lives should be like once they grow up and leave home and they're going to be into this sport or they're going to marry someone of the opposite gender or they're definitely going to have kids. And if if it doesn't unfold the way they had foreseen it or the way they had planned it in their mind, they suffer massively because they didn't evolve with their children. They had it kind of a, a movie in their head of what their kids' would, lives would be like and then it doesn't pan out that way and they're like, oh, I can't adapt to this, I can't adapt to this. And they refuse to change the perception of a future that has not even happened yet. They refuse to change their ID for their child's life. And that is change as well. A lot of change doesn't have to be the physical thing that's right in front of you, but it's your perspective. It's your hopes and dreams. It's your belief around something. It's you holding on to something or your ability to let go of something. A lot of change is psychological around our beliefs and our wants and our dreams and, you know, our fears. And a lot of this ultimately, 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 like most things that I talk about, comes down to fear. All of it actually comes down to fear, whether you acknowledge it or not. And it's not to say, oh, you right now where you're really happy with every aspect of your life, you have to change it. No, it's not saying that. It's saying that you should be open to embracing change whenever possible. And if you have something that you want to do, sometimes you have to sacrifice something that you like for something that you love. You don't have to wait till everything is crumbling apart for you to be like, all right, now I'll make the change. That's not a risk. That's not a risk. Because of course you're going to change it if you're hating where you're at. That's not hard. Hard is you being like, right, I've got a decision to make and I'm going to take that plunge because I could stay here and it could be comfortable 
Or I could leap over there and I could be really proud of myself. I could have made all that growth. I could have done all those things. But if it's hard, that's when you know it's worth it. If it's easy, it's because the current option that you have is a shit one. That's why it's easy to do it because it's a no-brainer. So this is what you first need to do. Number one, you've got to understand that impermanence is not only inevitable, but it's a good thing because things are always evolving in life and that is inevitable. So once you embrace it and once you embrace it to the point where you can, you can see it with almost excitement when something is evolving and when something is changing, then it can almost be something really, really good. Like I had recently in the last, you know, just recently, I had like a big opportunity present itself and then absolutely crumble and fall apart due to some decisions that I had made. And now I can look at that and be like, honestly, I feel like a lot of good has come from that to the extent that I'm gaining more now than had I had it gone well for me a year ago. That's how good things can be for you. That something that you thought was a total fail can then evolve to be like, this is really good. I can look at this in such a productive lens and now I'm really grateful that it turned out the way it did because I grew, I came up with other opportunities for myself. Due to the failure of that, I became way more adaptable and now if I look at my trajectory business-wise, I think I'm going to do better off than had it worked out for me a year ago, that kind of thing, right? And fear is what keeps you needing permanence in something. If you're always seeking permanence in something, that is fear. And you might be in a position where you've been told that you're lucky to be there. So if you were to leave it for something else or someone else, then you're going to start fearing, you know, losing that thing. A lot of people are like, oh, you're lucky to have that job. You're lucky to live where you are. You're lucky. You're lucky. And when you start feeling that you shouldn't have what you have or that you don't deserve to have what you have or that you haven't earned what you have, then you start having this scarcity mentality and a fear that you're going to lose it. So stop thinking like you should be grateful for what you have, but you shouldn't look at what you have as this anomaly and that that it shouldn't have happened to you, but you slipped through the cracks and you're able to get that thing. Because you, if you have that mindset of the only reason I am fortunate enough to have this is because I slipped through the cracks and was not supposed to have it, then you're not going to want to reach out for anything else in your life because you're like, i got to clutch onto this with both hands because I'm never going to get this opportunity again. You'd never want to feel that way. You never want to have that mindset. So you need to be changing how you approach things and how you or your belief around what you deserve and what you don't deserve. Now, chasing change is one of the best things you can do when things haven't gone well for you for many reasons, especially heartbreak. If you're heartbroken, probably one of the best things you can do is change what you are doing, where you are doing it. Change, 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 change. You will get over that heartbreak so much faster because you're not, if you live a life, right, where everything's the same and then you have this heartbreak for example, or something that breaks your heart, but I'm going to say a romantic heartbreak because I think that's something that most of us listening can relate to. But you get a heartbreak and everything else stays the same. It's a void. You now have a void in your life and you're like, how do I feel it? What do I do? How do I change this? If you then still have that same heartbreak, but then you change, okay, I'm going to go and do this spontaneous thing. I'm going to change my hobbies. I'm going to do a different morning routine. I'm going to start going to this different place. I'm going to maybe start changing my wardrobe a little bit and change my hair, change this. This is where people change their hair after a breakup. It's great. It's really good. It draw, it's a fucking line in the sand. Can't. I'm changing my hair. I'm not going back to you. It's like a psychological, you know, 
repair that you're doing and I fully embrace anyone who wants to fucking chop their hair off or bleach it or whatever it is that you want to do after a breakup, do it. It's good for you. You start creating all this change and you start creating a divide between the life that you had with the person that you were in love with and this new life that now doesn't include that person. It's still you, but you're evolving because evolving is inevitable. So you might as well do it on your terms. I'm going to start changing so many aspects about my life in a way that suits me, that I actually enjoy, that might surprise me, that could give me new experiences and, and all this, all these riches in my life that I may never have thought I could experience. And now when I look back at my life, I, it's not a void because my whole life, there's so many factors that have changed that I don't feel this void. I'm still, yes, recovering. doesn't mean that you're not going to miss them, but you don't notice this big black hole Versus if, if the only thing that changed was your partner leaving you. So when, when I did the, that whole trip that I was going to, I got asked a lot, are, are you sure you're not running away? You know, because I, like, I was just so unhappy that I'm like, the only solution is to move overseas. And in hindsight, like it, I, at the time I denied it. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not running away. I just need a change. And when the truth was that I absolutely was running away and that is not a bad thing. I don't know why I had made excuses around it. It absolutely was me running away. I was running away from a life that I was miserable in and it's exactly what I needed. So if someone ever says to you, are you sure you're not running away? Just say, I'm sure I am. I'm running away from this shit. Thank you very much. And I'm running in a direction that I want to go to. And I'm here for it and I want to be here and I want to run in that direction. I'm not interested in staying in this position where I'm miserable and where I'm heartbroken and where I'm being forced to do the same routine day in, day out when I can't get over the fact that this person left me. I need to shake things up for my own mental health. Yes, I'm running away. I wish I'd said that back then. And this is like well-meaning people who loved me. I think they were just concerned. I think they thought I was a hazard to myself back then. But I was running away and so I should have. Now, let's go through some of the reasons why maybe you don't, you know, make a big change. One of it is fear of being alone, leaving a relationship or moving somewhere alone. Every, like I said, it's all fear-based. We don't want to be alone. Another one is fear of judgment. If I quit my career to go and start this random thing where I'm doing videos of whatever, people are going to laugh at me. They're fucking going to laugh at me and I'm going to look like a dickhead and then I'm going to regret it. Another one is fear of losing something that can't be replaced. Let's say you move out of this apartment that you got a really good deal on, the rent is really good and the rent prices have gone up but you have to go and move. But then if you leave, you can never get that apartment back, not for that price at least. And then, you know, you're left with rubbish. So you're like, oh no, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay here. But then in the back of the mind, there's all this, this, this dream of this adventure that you've always wanted to go on, but you're fearing leaving something that you think you'll never get back. When in reality, you'll always have an opportunity to get something, not the exact same thing in a lot of cases, but something equally as good, if not better. But you have to have that, that mentality around it. Another reason why you don't make this change is because you just genuinely think that you're not worthy of it because you think, oh, it wouldn't work out for me. Obviously, you're thinking it wouldn't work out for me. If you haven't done it yet, there's a reason that you think for whatever reason it's not going to work out. If you knew for sure that it would work out, you would have done it by now. So for whatever reason, there's a worthiness thing going on there in a lot of cases. And you feel that if it doesn't work, you'll be worse off than what you are right now. But that's not the case either. 
You're never going to be worse off for trying something. Never. I think you think that you'll try that you trying something is this isolated event, and if it doesn't happen, then you're lower than where you left off. But the moment you take the leap on something, the moment you take that jump, so much changes in your life for the better. You grow. You learn more. You understand more. You your skills increase. You don't have to drop backwards. You keep progressing, and maybe in other areas, but you will always be progressing. We're we're moving forward here. Another reason might be because you've got that grass is greener um, kind of personality. I touched on this a couple of episodes ago. But you're worried that if you make the change, that your old lifestyle is going to seem better just because you're no longer there and you're on the other side, and. All these reasons that I just mentioned, it just all comes down to fear. And I, I reckon one of the biggest ones is the, the judgment one. I think a lot of us hesitate in life where our life is filled with hesitation because we're worried about what people are going to say. But you have to get into the mindset of saying people are absolutely going to say shit. They're going to say it. And if they don't, I mean, how, how good's that? that everyone around you doesn't say shit. But in most cases, they're going to say shit. Even the people that fucking love you are going to say shit. And do you know why? Not because they hate you, not because what they think you're doing is bad, but because they're jealous and not even in an evil way. They're envious that you took the plunge and they're like, oh, fuck, can't. I want, I want to do that. So then they're like, surely it's not going to go well for them. Surely that's going to crumble. Not because they want you to, you to crumble, but they want to justify that the reason they haven't done it is because it's such a risk and it wouldn't work. So they're saying that about you. So either they're saying shit about you because they just kind of wish they were in your position or they're saying shit about you because they're actually not nice people, in which case it doesn't really matter because they're not really in your life anyway. So if you just look at it as it's inevitable that people are going to say stuff, I need to go through the the – the embarrassment, the ugly feelings of, oh my God, people are talking shit behind my back. All right, cool. I felt it. Great. It's, it's done. Let's move on. But if you think, oh, how am I going to live my life so that way people don't talk shit about me? I can guarantee you're going to live a very uneventful life. Very uneventful. I don't know how many people have spoken shit about when I decided to launch the podcast. Couldn't tell you how many. Didn't spend much time thinking about it. People probably talk shit about me now. I don't know. I'm guessing. That's my presumption. And if they don't, that's weird. Like surely it happens. And I just look at it as an inevitable. And that way I don't lose any thought about it. Do they, do they not? I'm just saying that they do. And now I can move on because it's not my concern. And also if it entertains them, you're welcome. I've given you some entertainment. I've, you know, provided you with some substance. You're welcome. So ultimately everything that I spoke about comes down to a fear of loss. The reason people, there are people who chase change and those who let change chase them is because they only want to incur a loss if it was not within their control and that's what makes them be able to sleep at night. If they feel like they're responsible for the loss, they feel like they'll never get over it versus the people who are saying, I'm going to take the risks and I'm going to be aware that losses are inevitable and losses caused by me are going to be inevitable along my journey of life if I'm going to be a risk taker, someone who's going to chase my dreams, someone who's going to really go for those goals, someone who's going to take calculated risks and live that life that I want to live. You know, there's going to be some downsides to it, but they're definitely not going to outshine the upsides. And I know that for a fact. So I'm going to choose 
to live that life. But when you choose to live that life of chasing change, you've got to understand that losses will be incurred by you and it will be on you. But what you don't realize is that from when you're from this position, it sounds that sounds bad. But when you look at it from the other position, if you feel really in control, because even when you make a decision that then equals a loss and it didn't work out for you, every decision that you have made is also in your control and was your responsibility. So you actually end up trusting yourself a lot more. You actually end up having a lot more respect for yourself because it's a numbers game. So you think instead of sitting here and being a victim to my circumstances, nothing good is in my control, nothing bad is in my control, I'm just fucking cruising here and I'm getting pulled in every direction, but it's not my fault, versus being like, that was my bad, I fucked up on that call, but look what I did. I, I achieved this. I learned this. I succeeded in this. Th- I made this happen. I changed this. It ends up working out for you in the end. You know, when you add up all the good and bad, it's always going to be good in the end because you've gone and done that thing. You've evolved and it gets to a point where you look back and you think, I couldn't live that life that I used to live. Not because it's a bad one, but because I'm such a different person now. And there's so much that I've experienced and I'm on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And I can really look back and appreciate every stage of my life because there's been so many different facets of it and so many different stages that I've truly been able to enjoy, given that I'm someone that is willing to chase change and not wait for things to change and then force me to take action. Life is all about gains and losses and a lot of those losses will happen to you and only some of them will be caused by you. But losses are inevitable and if you sit there and only cop all the losses, it's going to be a very painful life and it's going to cause you a lot of suffering. However, if you're constantly chasing change, gaining while incurring the occasional loss, then it's diluted because yes, you might have lost an opportunity but you've gained two. Yes, you might have lost how someone views you and they laugh at you now when they used to whatever think you were cool, whatever, but you've gained new friends and new experiences and new successes and new supporters and new people that have your back. You're constantly gaining, constantly gaining. And if your goal is to avoid change or to avoid loss, then you're going to be sorely disappointed with your life because it's inevitable and you're going to feel like you failed when in reality you didn't. You just set yourself up for a goal that was impossible to achieve. Impossible to achieve. So instead, you've got to think of these things as inevitable. Losses and change and embrace it and do something about it. If a change is inevitable, how can I take control of that change? If a loss is inevitable, how can I create some wins along the way so that loss isn't as painful? You've got to change your goal to instead of making sure that you've, everything's secure and safe and nothing's ever going to go anywhere, to be resilient to loss and adaptable to change. I am resilient to loss and I'm adaptable to change. That's believable and that's something that you can tell yourself regularly and contemplate it, sit on it, think about it. I can be resilient to loss. I've had losses in the past. I'm here. I'm not dead And I can be adaptable to change. Things have changed for me in the past. I'm here. I'm not fucking dead. So I am. It's a fact. I'm resilient and adaptable. Maybe I took longer to adapt than I wanted to, but I can do it. Every single person has adapted to something and has been resilient in something. So use that as your example to be like, I can do it again and again and again and again. And the quicker you become that way, the less things are going to shock you. You're able to heal faster, to move on faster. You have a lot going for you that makes everything that you do worth it. Be the person to chase change. Don't let change chase you.
That is my favorite line and I'll say it to myself all the time and I'll say it to you guys all the time because I really think that if you really have that mentality and if you can share that mentality with those around you, then you're going to be able to really experience a life beyond your dreams. And it's not a seamless, flawless life. It's ups and downs. But when you look back, it will be beyond your wildest dreams, for sure, for sure. Much more than you sitting there just being reactive to everything that happens to you where you're suffering so much more along the way because you feel like you're not in control. Feeling powerless is one of the worst things we can feel. When you change how you feel about change, you gain the power back, all right? Chase change. Don't let change chase you. Guys, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that put a spark in your eyeball. I don't know. I think I was going to say a spring in your step, but that's not. Anyway, a spark, a twinkle in your eyeball, a spring in your step, whatever it is, cranked your tractor. Hopefully that's, you know, put a fire in your belly. Now it's time for the listener question. Hello. Thank you so much for your wonderful content. It truly is a gift to the world and it gives so many like myself practical tools to be able to work on themselves when therapy isn't available. I have been in a long-term romantic relationship and love our mutual respect we have for each other. We truly are a team, but I'm missing having a platonic girl friendships. I'm missing having platonic girl friendships in my life. I have had horrible experiences in these types of relationships in the past, and I'm not sure if this is something I'm unconsciously seeking out. It seems all of the super close girl friendships I am in tend to overcross boundaries, and I find they typically have some type of power complex. Um, where naturally I find myself friends with someone who is more dominant and has an easier time controlling a room where I am outgoing but generally more reserved. Not that this is the recipe for an unhealthy relationship. However, this is typically how it is for me. I'm drawn to these personalities as I myself am working on my own confidence and self-love, which I have not had in the past. I've continually struggled with crippling anxiety and depression and have been medicated by a doctor for years. I have trouble getting over friendships over one friendship in particular. We were thick as thieves all throughout high school where, where we met and we were practically inseparable. It was so comfortable and fun. Her sense of humor and ability to be herself was truly refreshing and she seemed to always build me up. However, the friendship went sour when she expressed one day that she believed I was trying to one-up her in social settings and she believed I was uncomfortable with how much attention she constantly was getting because she was most of the time the prettiest in the room or the center of attention. I, however, did not feel this way and I was so saddened and shocked when she shared this with me. I apologized to, apologized to her for it, for if I had been subconsciously portraying any of these actions as she knows my struggles with self-esteem and self-identity. We had a relationship where it was often sarcastic and gave each other a hard time when we were like actual sisters. I've noticed this friend typically does get extremely close to one individual and gives them all of her attention. Other girls in the school would refer to me as her puppy dog. I wasn't seeking this friendship to gain anything. I enjoyed the true real connection that we had as individuals and I thought that she felt the same. I didn't seek the friendship out originally. Our personalities were just a match. She then one day made a comment that I was trying to be her and in a way stealing her light and it rubbed me so wrong that I completely took myself away from the friendship. It hurt it was so hurtful coming from a friend I truly admired and celebrated. She often would say things throughout the friendship that inferred I was gaining more from the friendship and that she had found me in a point in my life where I needed a lot of growth 
and she would give herself credit for my self-growth, which in many ways was true. But I believe she did view herself above me in the friendship and that almost she was a mentor more than an equal in the relationship. I believe that was the root of the unraveling. It's been four years and I'm still missing this friendship and grieving what we had. We have tried to mend the friendship before, but it seems like things were just as awkward and will never return to the comfortability we once had. But the friendship now isn't even cordial. We both are moving on in life and there's no communication. I find it difficult to even see her on social media because it can spiral me into confusion and grief on the end of the relationship. I'm not sure why I'm finding myself drawn to these dynamics. I struggle to find new friendships because I'm seeking this level of closeness and comfortability with someone. However, was I just drawn to the power complex and friendships um, and the friendship wasn't as mutual as I believed? My job as a hairstylist is so social. I find it very difficult to want to nurture new friendships. However, I feel like I'm missing something in my life because I truly do enjoy having a best girlfriend to share the things in my life that my partner doesn't understand. I feel like I have grown and I'm a completely different person that, than when I was in this friendship. So maybe that is why it seems to be so hard to reconnect. I feel like now I know what an unhealthy dynamic is and I've been isolating myself from letting anyone new to try and protect myself. I often think of trying again because of how much this relationship meant to me, but maybe it's time to close the door for good and I just can't shake the feelings of pain. I want to be able to look back and be grateful for what we had and not sad for how it ended. I have tried to think positive thoughts and be happy for her and her new life. However, I only have sadness associated with this period in my life and I cannot fully heal from it. Are there any steps I need to take on or self-realizations to be had so that I can properly move on and have successful relationships with women moving forward. Thank you so much for your time and thoughts. Much appreciated. Okay. There's a lot going on here to kind of break apart or break down. The first thing that I would say is personally, if I were you, I would not bother trying to rekindle this relationship. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of hurt. She's not trying to reach out to you. I would just let it be. I would let it be. And I wouldn't try and think that anyone's done anything wrong here. You also were referring to a, a friendship that started in high school. I, I'm guessing you're not in high school anymore, but I get the impression that, you know, you were very young when it started and it involved in all these ways that ended up really hurting you, maybe hurting her. I'm not sure. We're not hearing her side of the story. So I feel like it's evolved to a point where it doesn't need to be resuscitated, you know, especially when, and it sounds cruel, but it's just a fact, especially when a lot of friendships start as when you're children, and by children, I mean any point before the age where you're an adult, so a teenager, and then has all these issues as you're going through your teething problems, becoming an adult, they do not need to be resurrected from the dead. This is part of your your growth. This is part of you evolving as a person. Sometimes you can take friends all the way throughout your entire life. But if there's all these dramas and issues and dramas, you've probably outgrown each other and that's completely healthy to do so. There is nothing wrong with that. And it's nothing bad about the other person. It is people outgrowing relationships. And this happens all the time. It's not something to think of as like a stain in your past or something that's like that brings you horrible memories. Okay. So that's the first thing that I want to say. I personally, if I were in your position, I personally would not bother to resurrect that thing, especially because you've already tried and it's not gone down well. I would just let sleeping dogs lie. Now, I just want you to ask yourself what it, what it is that you think is a really close girlfriend relationship. Like what do you think, and I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, I'm just saying you need to determine what it is that you think is a healthy, close female 
friendship? What does that look like? Because I'm getting the impression that you're expecting a relationship that's this intense, you know, um, this intense where you just like, obs- not, I wouldn't say obsessed, but basically you're drawn to each other and it's this like, chemistry of friendship that's just like you're in your own bubble and whatever and I feel that the reason you feel that is because this is what you got with this woman now I'm not saying that this woman or girl when you met her does this because like I've said I don't have enough insight into this relationship to know but there are people out there who I have met in person I have personally had friendships with them and I know close friends of mine who have had relationships with people like this And they are the kind of people that when they get a friend, they will obsess over this friend, okay? And they will give them all the attention in the world, make that person like the most important person ever. They will, you know, be texting them, messaging them, sending them stuff. They spend all this time together. It's like, it's just bang, again, and it, just the two of them. It's intense, it's intense. Then they move on to the next one. And then again, it's this intensity, it's this intensity. Then they move on to the next one. And it's like, they don't, instead of having this even spread of healthy relationships that kind of, you know, s- some are closer than others, some serve different parts of themselves and other areas in their life. And it's this kind of healthy spread. And this can be with, you know, just a handful of friends. I'm not saying you have to have a thousand handful of friends, but no, it's this like hyper fixation. And then it pulls away because something bad happens. And then a hyper fixation on the next one, pull away, next one, pull away. I've got friends of mine who have these like wild best friends where it's like, like so intense and then nothing. And then it happens again with another female and then nothing. And then again, and not, like that's not what I would consider a healthy relationship due to the fact that it ends up breaking down. So for me, that does not equal a healthy relationship. I think what you are seeking is something similar to what you had, but maybe what you had was just way too intense and hyper fixated. You mentioned, I didn't seek the friendship out originally. Our personalities were just a match. Often these really intense, hyper-fixated relationships feel like that. It's like, this is a match made in heaven. This is chemistry. The chemistry is so intense. It's so intense. But when that happens, whether it be with friendships or whether it be romantically, you need to pause and say, okay, I need to still have an an even balance of relationships in my life. It's never healthy to hyper-fixate on one person, whether it be romantically or whether it be as a friendship, because you lose perspective of what is is healthy for yourself. It just sounds to me, based on how you described it, it actually sounds a bit too much. It sounds like, you know, especially if she's making these comments about you, where she sees you as a threat, she sees you as this, she, it probably got too intense and then she got over it and she was trying to get you to walk away. So she was making comments like this because she didn't know how to kind of end it and she probably was fine with it being that intense and then when she wanted to pull away, your intensity became obvious to her, even though she was probably equally as intense at the start. But now that she's, for whatever reason, decided to pull away, she's moved on, she's found another friend, she's whatever it is, she just got over it, people get over things, whatever. But now your behavior, which was identical to hers initially, is now really obvious. And she's like, oh my God, you're too intense. You're, 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 you're jealous or you're trying to be like me. You're trying to steal my thunder. You're trying. She's probably just saying these things or, or exhibiting these behaviors to push you away because she no longer wants the intensity of the friendship that she had or she just doesn't want the friendship anymore. This friendship was so hyper fixated that when she ended the friendship, 
to you, you've experienced this like a romantic breakup. This is what you've experienced. I'm not saying you're in love with her, but I'm saying that the intensity of it is very much on par with a romantic breakup. That's why you can't see her on social media. That's why it's been four years and you still can't get over it because it feels like a breakup. And I think that friendships should be there in your life to help you strike a really healthy balance in your life. That's what relationships should be there for any relationship where there is hyperfixation, including romantically, is not good for you, okay? And it's not to say that you can't have a really close connection with someone where you're really, really tight. But if someone's turning around and saying to you, you know, you're trying to be like me, you're, you're stealing my thunder, that's not normal at all. And if someone feels that way, that's really sad that they feel that way. And if you're making someone feel that way, unintentionally, obviously, you would want to think, oh, fuck, why is that happening? Is it because they're irrational or is there something in my behavior that's making them feel that way? You know, you start questioning like what is right about my behavior and what isn't right about my behavior. Do you know what I mean? Like I just believe that a friendship, any relationship in your life that's a healthy one is there to help you strike a healthy balance in your life. Anything that is too intense of anything, a relationship, a hobby, quote unquote, an obsession, work. Um, anytime you hyperfixate on anything for a prolonged period of time, no matter what it is in your life, but more so relationships, you are doing yourself a disservice. And it has nothing to do with how close you are with that person and how much you love that person. I think a lot of people think that when you're really with each other all the time and when you're always doing everything together and when you're attached at the hip, that that is a true sign that you are close. No, it is not. No, it is not. A sign of a close friendship is someone that understands how to give someone space, someone who celebrates when their friend has other friends, someone who wants balance for their friends, someone who can see, can have like their best friend's interest at heart and do things that are aligned with their best friend's interests and vice versa. That's a true closeness. Someone who you know, knows that their friend can come to them at any time and they can go to their friend at any time to open up. But at the same time, they also respect that their friend would also need space and time out. That is a healthy relationship. You being together all the time and having that intensity, which is what you're seeking now, is not what you should be seeking. You should be seeking balance and you should be seeking a nice, healthy kind of balanced relationship with someone where you feel completely comfortable within your skin, but you also don't feel like you owe them your time constantly. Okay. So I feel like maybe from what I've read, maybe this has just been written in a way that I've interpreted completely different to what you're going through. But from what I'm reading, I think maybe you should seek different kinds of friendships, more relaxed friendships, way more chilled friendships. And they're the ones that are actually going to enrich your life. The pain you're feeling right now is not because you had the greatest friendship ever. The power dynamic in that friendship could not have served you at all. So you're hurting because it feels like a breakup. And you miss the intensity and the highs and the lows and the adrenaline. But the friendships that you, could be, you should be seeking moving forward should be way more relaxed than that. Way more relaxed and way more respectful than that. Okay? Hopefully that helped. Hopefully that made you realize that, you know, what's done is done. This is in the past. You know, 
there's other things to look for moving forward with, within a friendship. Um, that is all for today's uh, listener question. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you do want to send in a listener question, it's info at dyfmpod.com. And thank you to everyone who is sending them through. We're getting so many listener questions come through. That is all for today's episode. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.